Welcome to Storytime with T.L. Rutledge. This is your narrator speaking. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy the story. Immortal, Part 1 Chapter 1, Bound by Blood 1204, Constantinople, the Fourth Crusade It was a balmy, Midsummer's night in Constantinople, with a cool breeze blowing through the grass. Nature seemed silent. Even the animals were quiet. The night wasn't dead, however. Sounds of battle rang out in the distance, echoes carried by the wind. Suddenly, fire exploded high into the sky and lit up the night. Thick black smoke billowed from the capital, and the fire roared so violently it seemed as though it could be seen from the heavens by God himself. Soon the flames could no longer be contained. They continued to spread rapidly from structure to structure. Before daybreak, the great city would be burnt to the ground. Deep within, the crusaders fought till their final breath. Though death and agony surrounded them, their cause was too great to abandon. With their swords bloody and their armor dented, they forced their way into the palace with most of their enemies fleeing before them, unable to withstand their strength and power. The brave Byzantines that remained in the courtyard fought with, their all, fought with all their might to keep the remaining crusaders out of their keep. They defended their gate from the soldiers for hours, not allowing any crusader to reinforce the army inside. What seemed like a victory for the Byzantines, however, was only a mere irritation for the crusaders. Their soldiers on the front lines were wounded and weary, but the crusaders had support coming up from the rear fresh soldiers. These new soldiers were eager to engage in battle, eager to have their sores bathed in Byzantine blood. With these reinforcements also came something the enemy couldn't contain, knights. Two of the knights stood out from the rest. They confidently pushed their way through the crowded battlefield until they reached the blockade. These knights weren't fresh from the rear like the rest. Their armor and weapons had already been stained with blood. Neither wore a helmet, and their faces revealed their exhaustion and eagerness to claim victory. Marcus and Alexander were their names, two brothers who had fought through hell and had seen nightmarish things in battle that other soldiers could scarcely imagine. Marcus, the elder brother, had a rough, muscular physique. He was tall and brawny with rugged features. His hair reached his shoulders, and his face was covered by a dark beard, which he kept trimmed. His skin was marked with a few scars, the deepest one on his lower right cheek. Although he had a rough exterior, Marcus's blue eyes always had a saddened look to them. At a young age, he had dedicated his life to the battlefield, and the only thing he cared about more than fighting for Rutch's cause was protecting his younger brother. He was fierce and short-tempered, and never had a challenge stood in his way that he couldn't overcome. Alexander was the more patient and thoughtful brother by nature and he tended to use his brain as a weapon before using his fists. He was a little shorter than Marcus, but still had a muscular form. Alexander kept his hair short and his face clean-shaven. He bore a few minor scars, but unlike his brother, Alexander's sharp green eyes defined his face. He had taken after his mother much in that regard, whereas Marcus greatly resembled their father. Alexander had a heart for poetry and a mind for logic. Before joining the Crusades, He had studied to become a scholar. 
After their father's unexpected death, however, Marcus decided to join the fight, and Alexander vowed to stand by his side. When Marcus and Alexander approached the Byzantine blockade, the enemies surrounded them, making it, as, making it appear as if death were their only escape. As the enemies waited for the brothers to lay down their arms and surrender, the young knights surprised them instead with a full-on attack, eventually leaving the Byzantines practically defenseless. As a short, stocky Byzantine approached them, Alexander spun, suddenly spun on his heel so quickly that the soldier had little time to react. He cut down the soldier behind him, then quickly dodged an, a jab from another sword. Marcus grabbed the nearest soldier and threw him into another, then stabbed them both with one powerful strike. Meanwhile, Alexander cut one man's leg, causing him to stumble to his knees. Alexander took advantage of the enemy's vulnerability and shoved his sword, sword through his chest. The remaining soldiers fled out of fear, and the brothers stepped over their defeated enemies and continued inside the capital palace. Inside, they found the palace in a state of upheaval. The corpses of soldiers from both armies mangled and scattered on the floor of the great room and down the marble halls. Even the walls bore the scarlet marks of battle. The brothers trudged through the bloody mess, executing the Byzantine stragglers as they made their way to where the battle raged on. Marcus rushed towards the fighting, but Alexander stopped him and pointed to a group of fleeing Byzantine soldiers rushing down a dark spiral staircase. Do you suppose they're fleeing or looting? Why don't we find out? Marcus replied, obviously eager to kill the Byzantines regardless. They quickly followed the fleeing soldiers down a spiral staircase, which led to an underground system of dungeons below the capital. The dungeons were dimly lit, with only a few candles on each side of the long, narrow room. Tables and racks filled, the instrument, filled with instruments of torture were on display, and at the end of the room were dark iron cells that appeared to be empty. Marcus and Alexander saw the, that the Byzantines had stopped running and were now struggling with a lock on the cell in the middle. They were shouting to each other in words the brothers did not understand, though their tone revealed a disagreement amongst them. What are they doing? Alexander asked, as they watched the soldiers curiously. Marcus laughed haughtily. Perhaps they think they're safer inside a prison cell. Alexander watched the soldiers more closely than before, and noticed the fear on their faces. It looks as if they're attempting to retrieve something from the cell. Why do they appear so frightened? It's as I said, they're cowards. And it's the only place they can seek refuge. The brothers quietly stepped closer to the soldiers, who, had, who were completely unaware that they were about to be flanked. Just, at, just at, at the right time, Marcus yelled in his commanding voice. The soldiers quickly spun around, looking more terrified than ever. The one fiddling with the lock commanded the others to fight while he continued to try to open the cell. <clears throat> Marcus and Alexander charged the oncoming soldiers and began their attack. These Byzantines might as well have been unarmed peasants. They were no match for the combat experience of the brothers. A soldier took a heavy swing at Alexander, but his blade missed its mark and left him open for attack. Seeing the soldier's temporary vulnerability, Alexander quickly slashed him across the chest with his sword. The next soldier swung at his head, but Alexander ducked below the swinging blade and stabbed the man in his side. The first soldier to accost Marcus got knocked to the ground after being kicked in the chest. While his opponent tried to recover, Marcus seized the opportunity to slice the man with his own scimitar as he lay stunned upon the ground. Suddenly, a loud, rusty screech filled the room as the remaining soldier opened the cell door. 
It sounded as if it hadn't been opened for quite some time. Loose chains fell to the ground within the cell, followed by the sound of heavy breathing. The cell remained dark as night, but someone or something was lurking within it. The last soldier stood in front of the brothers, now with his mouth gaping as a thick black claw instantaneously ripped through the front of his chest and then back out again. The man fell dead in a pool of his own blood. Alexander took a step forward, but Marcus grabbed his arm to stop him. What's the matter? Alexander asked, confused that his brother did not rush to kill the animal. The creature within the cell howled like no animal the brothers had ever heard before. The sound was deep and loud, almost like a wolf, yet it was unnatural and terrifying. The echoes of it shook the very foundation of the Capitol Palace, and the brothers were frozen to their spots, unsure of what to do. In the blink of an eye, the ferocious beast sprung out of its cell and sprinted on all fours with such speed that the brothers had no time to react. Alexander, though unready, took a swing at the beast, but his blade broke when it struck the creature's skin. The beast swung its enormous black claw at Alexander's body, causing him to fly clear across the room and slam against the opposite wall. Marcus stood a few feet away from the imposing creature. It was a terrifying sight to behold, with his long teeth bared and his piercing blue eyes were staring directly into its praise. It let out a long, low growl as it paced in front of Alexander, preparing to strike again. Marcus had more time to react now that the creature was momentarily distracted with Alexander, so he rushed the monster, ducking below its swinging arms. It was too quick, however, even for Marcus. The beast knocked him to the floor and, spung, and sprung upon him, trying to use his teeth to rip Marcus to shreds. Marcus tried to use his sword to stop the long fangs, only to find his weapon to shattered like glass the moment it made contact with the beast. The monster struck at Marcus's chest and then ripped into his shoulder with his razor-sharp teeth as Marcus screamed out in pain. Alexander stumbled forward, wanting to do anything to save his brother. Knowing his sword was useless against the creature, he quickly scanned the room for another weapon. There must be something in this dungeon to stop that foul creature. How else would they have caged it? There must be something, some sort of special weapon, Alexander told himself. And just then, a shimmering silver blade caught his eye. He rushed over to it and retrieved it. He then struck the beast in its side with his new sword, but this time, instead of the blade breaking, it drew blood. No longer impervious, the monster fell back and howled in pain. Alexander chased the beast into the dark cell from where it came, and moments later the beast lay in a silent heap upon the stone floor. When Alexander emerged from the darkness and into the flickering light of the dungeon, he was covered in the blood of the great beast mingled with his own. He quickly knelt down beside his wounded brother. Marcus, can you hear me? Alexander's voice was filled with panic. Yes, don't worry. I'll be fine. Just help me to my feet. Marcus's voice was calm, but strained. And Alexander knew he was trying to remain strong for his benefit. He could tell his brother was in agonizing pain and needed to get him back to the surgeon as quickly as he could. Alexander pulled Marcus onto his feet and helped him back up the stairs where the battle was now finished. The Crusaders were the victors, and their fellow soldiers were cheering their victory. Alexander helped his brother walk out of the palace to the courtyard, where they followed their wounded comrades back to the main camp a mile or so outside the city walls. Once they passed through the broken gate that once protected the city, they saw the sun peeking over the sands of the Byzantine Empire. The sun was already burning bright and hot, much like the fires inside the city 
causing Alexander to feel as though his insides were cooking underneath his heavy armor. When they made it back to camp, Alexander rushed Marcus to the surgeon's tent after he quickly hid the silver weapon within his own tent. Alexander helped the surgeon remove Marcus's armor, then the surgeon proceeded to cut off Marcus's shirt. As the surgeon peeled away the fabric, the injuries to his chest and shoulder immediately began to bleed extensively. After a few intense minutes, the surgeon was able to stop the bleeding by wrapping the wounds. The surgeon asked Alexander what caused these injuries, but he couldn't find the words to describe the attack. Who would believe such a fantastical story? All he could say was that Marcus had been bitten by a rabid dog. After the surgeon did what he could to dress Marcus's wounds, Alexander knelt beside his brother's bed. Marcus waited till the surgeon was out of earshot before turning to look at his brother. Alexander, how did you slay the beast? My sword shattered like glass when it struck its flesh. Mine did as well, Alexander whispered. I reasoned that if the Byzantine managed to cage such a creature, there must have been something in there to control it. I looked around the room and found the strange silver sword. I cannot explain how, but with just one strike with the sword, the beast fell. What did you do with the silver sword? Do you still have it? I asked Marcus anxiously. Yes, it's in my tent. Why? You don't think we'll run into another one of those things, do you? Now, there's one here. There must be one somewhere else. Hold on just in case. We may need it again. Ask the blacksmith for his assessment of the blade and report back to me. All right. You should get some rest. I know you don't think you need it, but you do. Marcus gave in and nodded as Alexander smiled and stood. He left the surgeon's tent and immediately went back to his own. His tent was small, just enough room for him to sleep, but he crawled into it and grabbed the silver blade that he hid underneath his mat. He wrapped it in his blanket and carried it back across the camp. After weaving his way through the endless soldiers' tents, he reached the open field that marked the center of the camp and then proceeded to the blacksmith's tent. The blacksmith, William, was friends with Marcus and Alexander. A few years earlier, he had been trapped inside his quarters as they caught fire. The brothers had been passing through on their way to join the Crusades, and they were able to save him. Since then, William had done whatever he could to repay them, and his knowledge was knowledge made him a great ally. "'William, it's so good to see you!' exclaimed Alexander in a cheerful, familiar manner. "'Ah, Alexander! It's great to see you as well, my boy. I heard Marcus was injured. How is he?' He's going to be alright. You know Marcus. He can fight his way through anything. Actually, that's what I wanted to talk to you about, William. Don't tell anyone, but Marcus wasn't truly attacked by a rabid dog. It was another creature, unlike anything I have ever seen before. How can I describe it? I have hesitated to tell anyone because it sounds so ridiculous. It was a great black beast that resembled the wolf, but its eyes were unnatural, deep, Blue eyes that stared into your very soul. Alexander shuddered as he recalled it. Yes, go on, William pressed with great interest. Well, the strangest part was what happened to our swords. You yourself designed them, and sturdy weapons they were. Were? William asked, disappointed that, one, that the thought of one of his pieces going to waste. Our blades shattered into pieces when we struck the beast. Alexander uncovered the sword and showed it to William. But when I used this sword... The beast was slain, but with just one strike. Do you have any idea how this is possible with this blade? Ah, that is a silver blade. They are very rare. I haven't seen one of these in ages. William looked at the sword closely. What can you tell me about it? asked Alexander. 
Well, legends say that only a blade made out of silver from the surface of the moon can, can be used to slay a beast born of lycanthropy. This blade is made of pure silver, and it shines like the moon reflects on water. A blade made from the surface of the moon? What could that mean? How is that possible? Well, to my knowledge, it's only a legend. No one really believes it, of course. But I can tell you with certainty that this is a pure silver blade that slayed the beast. I still don't understand. How did it pierce the beast when all our other weapons couldn't? How does it being silver make any difference? I'm not sure I'm the right person to ask, boy. If you really want to know more about these legends, I suggest talking to the gypsies. Where can I find them? Like fleas, they're everywhere. They're roaming people, you see. The ones you'll want to speak to are camping this time of year just outside of Romania. That is where I heard the legend. You could try there. Tread carefully, though. Gypsies are known to be thieves. Thank you, William. You've been a great help to me. If you ever get out of here, I'll sleep them out. And I hope you do. Fascinating they are. The tales they tell. Tell your brother I hope he recovers his strength soon. I shall, said Alexander as he left the blacksmith's tent. He walked back across the camp to his own once again. Night started to fall across the sky as the moon shone bright and full. Alexander gazed up at it, his mind full of unanswered questions. He stood there staring at it for a lingering moment, then shook his head. Legends, more like myths, Alexander scoffed to himself as he laid down in his tent, still staring up at the sky. My idea behind Immortal, as well as the whole Archangel Chronicles, has a kind of a funny backstory to it. I got the whole idea for this series from watching one episode of Supernatural. As many of you have see, who have seen the show, you know that the brothers, the Winchester brothers, are obviously their brothers, and they basically they hunt um, supernatural beings like demons and possessed people and stuff. Um, there was an episode, however, it was early on, and they were hunting like a werewolf-type creature. And I thought, I was like, wow, that could be a really interesting story if it was just about that. I mean, don't get me wrong, the show is a great show, but it's not really my type of show. Um, I mean, as far as mine, as far as not, it's not what I would write. Um, but with the werewolf episode... I thought of an idea, and I originally, this wasn't even going to be a book. I originally started to write a screenplay called Immortal, and it was just going to be one big, long movie. And I started writing a scene that wasn't even the beginning of the book. It was just, like, a part where, I don't want, like, I don't want to hear any spoilers for anybody who hasn't read the book, but um, basically, the part that I started for the screenplay was a part that's like way, way, way far in the book. And I was like, I can't start, can't start it here. I mean, I had to start, I had to start somewhere else. And so I decided, you know, I'm not going to do the screenplay. I'm going to write a book instead. So I started writing Immortal. Oh man, it's been a long time. Uh, I think I started writing this book because I published it and I unpublished it and I republished it. I think I may have started writing it maybe like in 2013, maybe? Um, 
like I said, I published it once and then I unpublished it because I wanted to like edit it again. Then I republished it and then I republished it on in 2015. And it took me about a year and a half to write the first time. And then it took me another maybe a couple months to go through, edit, and fix it up. Um, but going back to Supernatural, um, the two brothers. So in Immortal and the whole Chronicles together, Marcus and Alexander are very close brothers. And the reason I did this too was because my own experience, um, I have an older brother and we're pretty close. And um, I really tried to make the characters realistic. So Marcus is heavily based off my brother Jeff and Alexander is more based off of me. And their relationship with one another is similar to my brother and I and our mannerisms and how we act and different things are are very close. I mean they're obviously it's not exact, but um like he doesn't have long hair and you know, I don't he doesn't have a big scar on his face, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. And uh certain things that we do and say we would never do and say like how Marcus and Alexander say them or do in the book, but um one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to write these books too was to kind of show people what family means to me. As I go through this book, there'll be parts where family will do anything for for each other, you know. The brothers bond in this book is very uh, very dominant. It's very um it's very strong. And as they go on, they they meet other characters who have similar um, relationships. And that's something I really wanted to focus on heavily in these books is the strength of family, um, the love they have for one another. Um, with the brothers um, in the book, they're... They're based, I don't want to say they're orphans, but, I mean, their parents died when they were older, so they're not really orphans so much, but they don't have any parents, uh, they both died, and their bond has became stronger um, when that happened, and throughout the book, they, they had their struggles with one another, but they always stand by each other's side no matter what. Even the things that like they'll have they'll have their fights, you know, they have their disagreements, their arguments. But they're brothers, and brothers always have each other's back, you know. Um that's how me and my brother are always we always feel like about each other. Um we have each other's back no matter what. And that's something I really wanted to express in this book was how I how my relationship with my own brother is. I wanted to show that in a book. Um so I did that with the Archangel Chronicles. As far as chapter one, the reason why I picked um, the Crusades and um, Crusaders, if you know me, you know I have a, I, I love history. And the Crusades, Crusaders, the Dark Ages, all that, that whole time period is one of my favorite times. As far, I mean, it wasn't a good time in history for anybody, 
but I love reading about that time period. It's just, it's just so different than present day, you know. There is, obviously it's in the past, and most past decades and centuries are different than nowadays, but the Dark Ages were just so, I can't think of the word right now, but they're so, it's so different, you know, like, there was war everywhere, it was disease, and, like, people, somehow people survived that, and they, they managed to do what they do and continue on, you know, and get married and have kids, and even in these darkest of times, you know, and it's just, it was crazy, it was, it just makes you realize, like, they're, and people just have to move, they have to go on, they have to continue, you know, and, like, in present day, there's so many things that, like, want to hold this back and, like, say, like, oh, you shouldn't have kids, you know, because the world is so messed up. But the world was even more messed up back then, and people had kids, you know. Like, I, I don't want to get, like, political or, you know, whatever right now. But, um, but, so, this whole book is basically the same time period. It's all in the 1200s. And, um, with the title being Immortal, um, again, no spoilers, but it's kind of obvious name. Um, but they're in the 1200s right now, and there is a part two in this book, and the part two jumps ahead like seven years, I believe, if I recall correctly. And there is, I, in every book I've written for this series, I've added a prelude at the end of every book. To kind of give you a glimpse of the next what the next book is going to be about, just to tie it into like the other book, and there's a reason for that. But I, I won't. I'm not going to say it right now because I don't want to give away anything. Um, but yeah. Thank you for listening to Chapter One: Bound by Blood. The next episode, Chapter Two: Nightmares, will be coming soon.